We're in the midst of trying times. The coronavirus is continuing to spread and more areas are being affected. But this isn't a time to run and hide. Aggressive people are forged by fire and make no mistake about it. We're in the fight and in the fire right now. This is a special bonus episode meant to encourage and steal you toward healthy aggression when the world needs it most. My name is Brian Tome and this is The Aggressive Life. Well, just about a month ago, it seemed the biggest and ugliest issue we're going to face in America this year was going to be politics. With an election looming, the right and the left, they weren't pulling any punches, just get nastier and more divisive every single day. Ugly, ugly, very fast. But that was before COVID-19, coronavirus, as I'm recording this. We're in an all-out war in this illness. Cities have shut down, gatherings of more than 10 are against the law, we're, we're setting down into a new normal where many of us are working from home and actually wondering, how long is this new normal going to last? I thought it was going to be a couple weeks, now it's a month, now two months longer? A new spike in the fall, I understand? Oh my goodness. Yes, things have radically changed since I first met today's guest. I heard him speaking at an event in D.C. and was struck by his leadership in an area of healing division. He is the president and CEO of One America Movement. He's an organization that he leads that works to address polarization in America through projects that confront real issues head on, things like racism, poverty, drug abuse. His organization creates spaces for Americans of all colors, backgrounds, faith, and political leanings to actually work together. You mean people could work together? No, can't imagine. But people are getting their fingernails dirty and they're changing their neighborhoods. Recently, my guest published an op-ed in USA Today entitled, Let's Use Coronavirus Pandemic to Bridge America's Social Divide. He's got some really good wisdom to share with us in terms of how we can change our own neighborhoods, maybe our own minds. And I got to tell you, um, I'm just curious. How, how many of you out there, just, just just raise your hand if you've ever spoken to the United Nations. Anybody out there? Uh, no, 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 you haven't. Yeah, but, but he has. Uh, how many of you out there have ever been invited to speak to the National Press Club? Anybody? Go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, no, 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 you, you haven't, but, but but he has. How many of you out there have been, been featured in the Washington Post? Somebody, uh, no, 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 but, but he has. I can go on and on and on and on. We got a guy who's a pretty smart cookie here today. He's going to talk with us about all kind of interesting stuff. Welcome, Andrew Hanauer. Thanks for having me, Brian. Good to see you again. Man, so we were supposed to get together, well, we did get together a while ago. We're pausing that podcast. It's kind of odd. I'm, I'm talking with you now as if it's our first time with the listeners. Actually, it's your and my second time in the podcast. We just haven't released the first one because it was all politics all the time. And we're waiting for a block of political stuff later on. We're going to do someone on the right, someone on the left, and we're going to do you. And uh, now's not the time to talk about that. <laughs> let, let, let's talk about you and your specialty before we get into uh, COVID-19. Polarization, just give us, a, give us a basic thumbnail sketch. And when you say polarization, what are you talking about? Yeah, you know, it's it's a good question because polarization is normal, right? Nobody wants to live in a society where everybody agrees about everything. So polarization, when it when it's, uh, I disagree with you, uh, I believe this and you believe that, that's normal, that's healthy. 
the reason that I spend my life working on polarization right now is because that's not the kind of polarization we have. We have a much more toxic form. We got a much more dangerous form. It's a team sports form where it's uh, us versus them. And I don't like you, not because I disagree with you, but because you're on the other team culturally, racially, politically, social, whatever. And those things are getting, you know, lumped into one category. So that's how societies fall apart. That's how we become dysfunctional. That's how we stop being able to work together. Uh, that's how we start having things like uh, uh, immigration, where we actually agree more than we think we do, but we don't even realize it because we're so opposed to each other on these sort of uh, superficial levels. So that's what we're working on. Do you see us becoming more or less polarized as a result of COVID-19? I think that's to be determined, and it's to be determined based on how we act. We have choices to make. Uh, we can choose to use this as just another thing to throw at each other. You know, we can pit rural areas against New York City. We can pit the president against the governors. Uh, we can say it's all because of the Chinese. We can say it's all because of Europeans. We can blame anyone we want. Um, or we can say, look, we're all in this. We're all impacted by this. This virus doesn't care what color our skin is. It doesn't care what country or what state or what city we live in or who we voted for. Uh, and we have to come together and support each other. Well, it seems to me like we've toned things down a little bit uh, as far as the polarization, at least where I sit in Cincinnati, Ohio. It seems to be a little bit toned down. You're in Washington, D.C. Do you think it's toned down right now? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. Yes and no. I think I think there's a good thing that comes of this, which is that it's a little embarrassing to be hyperpartisan in the midst of a epidemic, right? I mean, when the members of Congress were arguing about the stimulus bill and they were giving speeches criticizing each other, I think most Americans, regardless of what your belief about the stimulus bill was, most Americans saw that and just thought, come on. I mean, mm. just pass something, right? Pass something that helps us. Um, yeah. Stop stop yelling at each other on the floor of the Senate. It's embarrassing. So I think in the short term, that's good. Um, I am worried about some of the dynamics on the internet and uh, some of the dynamics around the disproportionate way this is impacting certain communities. The fact that people in New York City are having a very different experience than people in Kansas, it, it, it could make our divides uh, more significant as well. Oh, interesting. T tell me more about that. I, ha I haven't thought about that. There's, that's an angle I haven't considered. I, I've considered that New York City's having it worse than Kansas, but tell yeah. me more about how that might affect us polarization-wise. Well, I mean, I think there's very there's very much a concern about the economy, right, and about the the impact of the shutdown orders on all of our well-being. I think people are really concerned about their jobs. They're concerned about uh, their financial future, their mental health. I mean, all of these things are really impacted by our response to the epidemic. And of course, we're worried about the virus itself. But there's a way to play those against each other, right? If you want to, you can say, well, here in, in our area, we don't have that many people getting the virus. So why are we shutting our businesses down just because those people over there are getting it? And vice versa. I think, I, uh, you know, a lot of folks, when the president said, you know, we need, we, we're going to be back open by Easter. A lot of people on the internet were saying things like, oh, well, you just want us to die for your, you know, Wall Street economy to get better and things like that. And I think that sort of rhetoric is, is problematic uh, and it breaks down along geography, politics, et cetera. So we're polarized at this example, really because we, we do have different life experiences, not just different life convictions. We have different sure. life experiences. Absolutely, absolutely. 
So if someone was to be aggressive in eliminating polarization as it would be relating to a response to COVID-19, what would that kind of person do? How, how would I aggressively come against this? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, the internet is open war in this way, right? So uh, if you want to be aggressive, you can go on the internet and you can see enormous amount of influence peddling and uh, intentionally divisive messaging and misinformation and attempts to, to tear people apart. And and you think about the fear that so many Americans have right now and the just uncertainty and how scared they are and how this affects them to be bombarded with this information. And if you can aggressively push a different story about how we can stand together in this time, uh, I think you can really have an impact. And then I think in our communities, I, I think we, you know, for me as a person of faith, I, I have to think about um, this is a moment where I'm called to be to be brave in in the face of something that scares me and to be aggressive in my willingness to do what is right, even if it feels scary. And that doesn't mean uh, violating what the doctors are saying. It just means being willing to think about the other people around me and not just hunker down and, and, and sort of try to ride it out and hibernate in my house for three months. I, th I, think what's, I think what's awkward about this one and frustrating about this one, for me anyway, is there's not a lot to do. You know, when, when, when there's a, a flood, when there's a tornado, yeah. okay, let's get some volunteers, let's go down with Habitat for Humanity, or let's go and this one is... There's there's really nothing you can do. You can give some money to some food pantries, that, which is great. People who have been paycheck to paycheck and don't have any any food or ways to get food. Great, awesome, awesome. But the the average person can't do anything. Mm. And those for those of us who are in the aggressive side of things, <laughs> that's where I'm just starting to freaking pull my my hair out here. I, I, man, I, I want to do something. I'm telling people love your neighbors yourself, but. Do it while you're six feet away and touch elbows at the closest. It, it's it's just a weird thing for us. I don't even know how I want you to respond to that. I'm just kind of venting and yeah. saying, this sucks and I don't like it. I, I don't like it at all. This sucks and I don't like it is probably a good motto for what we're doing with right now. But I, I, I hear you. And I think, though, it, it's sort of a more subtle thing, right? Like, there are people who are living alone right now who really need to hear from friends and family. I had a FaceTime call with my entire—I yeah. um, say my entire family. I have like five relatives, so I, I have no first cousins. I have a small family. But we had a FaceTime call. A lot of them are 75 and older. Why did it take a pandemic for me to, to talk to my whole family together you know, on a regular basis? That's crazy. We have so many people out there who are hurting, who are lonely, who are scared, who, who just need to, to get a phone call from someone who cares about them and say, how are you doing? Do you need anything? And that is one thing we can absolutely do uh, in the midst I of this. I agree with that. I see that with my neighbors in my neighborhood. I sent out a, an email to everybody saying, hey, if you need anything, I'm here. Yep. Uh, we, we can drive you someplace. We have some, we have some older people within our neighborhood. We've got some, we can drive you someplace. I got plenty of food if you run out. I've got, you know, uh, I mean, that was, that, that, that started neighbors talking with one another. Yeah. Email, we weren't just, like complaining about the mulch guidelines, or whatever the heck we complain about. <laughs> we were like, "Yeah, me too. I'll help. Me too. I'll help." It was it was really cool. It might be one of the ways that God actually redeems this situation in our country. Yeah, Amen. And you know, it's actually something you said. Um, are you loving your neighbor? Not your theoretical, hypothetical neighbor. Your actual neighbor. And I think that's the the thing that is. Um, 
for all of us right now is kind of smacking us in the face is, hello, there's people right across the street from you. There's people on either side of you who might need something. What are you doing for them? And yeah. there's no excuse to not to not be able to at least make that outreach if if you're if you're able to. So you have a degree in history. Uh, from what you know about things that have happened in the past and all time periods in all corners of the globe. Yep. It, are there any common learnings about how crises bring people together? How we should be operating in a crisis? Things to think, things to do. Is there, is there anything that history teaches us? Yeah. It's a double-edged sword. I mean, so it, every crisis, it gives us an opportunity to have this kind of unifying identity, right? Like, who cares what your politics are? We're all Americans. We're all fighting this virus. We can do it together. And every crisis like this gives us the opportunity to blame someone, right? 9-11 yeah. was one of the most unifying moments in American history. I remember I, I was supposed to fly across the country to go to college um, right during that time. And instead, obviously, I drove across and I drove across and everywhere I went across the country, um, American flags, people standing on overpasses of highways, just waving American flags. It, it felt so unifying. And, of course, for a lot of Muslims in America, they were then attacked, even though they had nothing to do with 9-11, right? So there can always be that, and we're going to blame you for this. And so we've seen it with, with our Asian American brothers and sisters uh, being attacked here in the United States. Um, yeah, I know, I know that uh, the first restaurants to take a hit were Chinese restaurants. Yeah. I don't think that was intentional intentional no. racism so much it was, oh, no, I'm just a little fearful here. I don't, I don't understand this thing because we, we are the land of the fear, you know? <laughs> yes. Well, and there's always, right, if, you, if, if an entire group is being blamed, there's always going to be – there's some folks who just – they're scared and they just want to stay away from those people or those, those groups. And then there's always going to be people who take it you know, way further than that. And so we, we just need to be careful about those dynamics, whether it's the Chinese or whether it's eventually right. our politicians blaming each other or what have you. So that was your op-ed. Your op-ed was on fear. What can we learn about fear for this situation? Or what do we need to understand about the dialect of fear so we don't listen to fear's lies? Yeah, that's a, I love that. Fear does a few things. Fear absolutely paralyzes us. So the first thing that fear does is it, it makes us feel helpless. Um, this thing is happening to me and I have no control over it. Um, but of course, our control is a, is an illusion anyway, right? For those of us who are Christian, we understand that um, the idea that we have control over all our own lives and, and that we're the the orchestra conductor is is a lie, right? That's not how it actually works. And so, um, this sense of you know, I was in control of my life, and now suddenly I can't leave my house. I've lost my job. I don't have a paycheck. You know, whatever. My kids are suddenly home all day. All these things serve to put us in a position where we just feel helpless, like we're helpless victims. And I think for those of us who want to be aggressive in, in, in standing up for our neighbors and our communities, that's a bad place to be. You don't want to be a victim. You want to be out there doing something. The other thing that fear does is that when we're scared, we just want a solution. Solve it for us, Mr. President. Solve it for us, governor, doctors. And we have to be careful about that because sometimes those solutions are good. Sometimes someone's going to sell us a solution that's not so good and we're willing to hear it because it'll just make this go away. And I don't think we've heard too much of that recently. I don't think we've seen politicians really trying to use this to 
to gain more power or anything like that. But undoubtedly, those sorts of dynamics can can come into play in a situation like this. Mm. I will say this too. I think Americans have, a lot of Americans have been living in a fantasy land for a long time. The, the pain and suffering in this world and in many of our own communities here in the U.S. is real. And I think the American dream is a beautiful thing, but it has been morphed over time into this escapist reality thing where I just have, I want a big house and I want you know good food and entertainment on demand 24-7 and I just want to hide away from, from all those things that are hard. And I think in many ways, this is forcing us. And, uh, and I want security yep. and I want predictability and I want my 401k to be growing 10% every year. Yep. And I want to be able to have kids whenever I want them. Yep. And I want the government to have all the laws that I want for it. And I want to have all the latest entertainment options. Yep. And I want to, oh, dude, you are so right. Yeah. We th- it's, uh, that's not the American dream. That's the American entitlement. Yep. We think we should have all of that stuff. And when we are on the verge of not having a lot of that stuff, which we are right now, right. we think something's wrong. No, it's wrong because we've had a wonderful run for decades when we all could think that we all could have it all and we cannot have it all. This is human history, tragedy strike. Yeah. And thank God I've been, for the most part, immune to them since 1965 when I was born. But now that I've got a little discomfort, I'm just now starting to get close to being normal. And what is my discomfort? I'm freaking out because I'm still in my freaking house. <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh! I, I don't have genocide coming my way. Right. I don't actually have. I don't actually have the Black Plague. I don't actually have a dictator who's who's raping the women of my family. Yeah. I don't actually. I don't have any of those things. I have a little inconvenience. Hey, hey, boys and girls, let's suck it up. Let's suck it up and stop our freaking whining. Yes, our kids are whining. They're in our house. It's a pain. Yes, is. <laughs> And you have kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And I'll say this too. Uh, you're right. Like the lack of control, right? We can't control when this is going to end. But when things get hard, that's when we find out who we are. And we have a choice every second of the day. When your kid says something silly and you're stressed because you're stuck in your home and there's no basketball to watch, you have a choice. Whether you're going to yell at your kid or whether you're going to be nice and patient with your kid, you have a choice about whether you're going to help your neighbors. You have a choice about whether you're going to spend hours on the internet looking at negative, bad stuff that just makes you depressed or whether you're going to do something positive for someone in your life. And the fact that those choices are coming every second, it it feels endless in that we don't know when it's going to end. But that's that's our that should be our time frame. It's not how do I plan for six months from now. It's what choice am I going to make right now, in this second. Yeah, what's 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 so intense on the polarization side too is we now know more things than we ever knew before to get upset and polarized <laughs> yeah, about. That's true. You know, yeah, like these churches that are choosing to stay open, which I think is a. Bad idea. Well, depending on what part of the country. Perhaps there's parts of the country that wouldn't be a bad idea at all. But those churches that are choosing to stay open and and all that stuff, uh, because we can see videos of them laying hands and praying for people, those people are getting just pummeled right now, right? Because the information age has given us more information to be polarized about. Yeah. And I and I really hate that. I mean, I I went out to buy groceries for this for this family, my, my wife and I went and bought a month's worth of groceries, which that in and of itself was just an incredibly moving experience, Andrew, because I, I thought, I remember, it wasn't too long ago that Lib and I 
couldn't afford a month of groceries. It wasn't too long ago that Lib and I couldn't buy the double pack of toilet paper because we could only afford the single pack, even though you didn't get the cost cutting. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't that long ago that, oh, I don't want to go into my quasi-poverty background. I do say quasi because it's not true poverty. But I just, you know, hyper, hyper hand to mouth. And to be able to, to help somebody, it, it, was, it, it brought tears to my eyes even before we got up to the, the checkout. Yeah. And then to think to myself, I don't know if I can post this on social media because I could get crushed because someone could see that I'm not social distancing. They, they, they might not think that I'm social distancing or they might, uh, it just was it just was odd. It's like, I'm putting myself out there to get criticized. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, that's absolutely right. First of all, thank you for doing that. I mean, that's that's what we need. And Why are you thanking me? You didn't get, you didn't get fed by me. No, but <laughs> someone else did, and that's good. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, good, so you're a collective humanity thank you. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. You're, well, you're welcome, Andrew. It was my, uh, my honor to serve you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, I think that uh, one of the things that, that's a hallmark of, of polarization on the internet is setting up rules and then judging everyone by whether they meet that rule or not. And so social distancing is just another example of that. You can you can sit on the internet all day if you want and find stories of people who are doing stupid things that violate what the what the CDC is telling us to do and then just just you know go to town talking about how stupid those people are. I think there's even a hashtag like covid idiots or something like that that is for that. And you know, that might feel good. Um, and maybe it'll shame enough people that maybe someone will act better somewhere. But mostly what it does is it just it feeds our need to be the right, on the right side mm. and, uh, and put those people on the wrong side. And I think that the solution right now when we're stuck inside and so many of us are spending more time on the internet than we were before is we've got to fill the internet with love. We've got to fill it with good stuff. We've got to fill it with modeling the kind of things that we should be doing so that people can have something to aspire to instead of just like, uh-oh, am I within the rules, right? Um, how can we how can we make the internet a place where people go? That's the kind of person I want to be. That's how I want to be aggressive in this world. That's a fascinating way to put it. Feed the need to be on the right side. That's that's really freshly said for me. Feed the need to be on the right side. So what what is it about us as humans that we're always going we, they, and they's always wrong except for us, we? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're wired to want to be part of a group and and we're wired for our, for our group to survive because if our group dies, where does that leave us, right? We're screwed, right? In the old days, it was how do we protect ourselves from getting eaten by lions? Um, so if your group dies and you're out there on the savanna by yourself, you're less likely to, to survive the lion. Now it's the same kind of concept, right? You want to belong, you want to stay in your group, and you want your group to thrive. And that means what defines your group? Well, in some ways, you define your group as we're the good people. And if you're not in our group, it's because you're the bad people, right? I mean, we've all, you know, anyone who's been to a sports game knows how that feels in your brain to be on the right side um, in your mind and to look at them and say they're on the wrong side. Um, and obviously, sports is a healthy outlet for that, but it, it can be taken in really unhealthy ways. Human beings are terrified of being either in the wrong group or being left out of their group and being all alone. And they're willing to do a lot of bad things and put up with a lot of bad things and shame a lot of other people uh, if it helps them feel special and as part of a, a group that's on the right side. 
All right, Andrew, let's try some lightning round. Let's try some... I, I'm not sure how lightning round questions will go here because this, this is a rather non-lightning round topic. <laughs> but let's, let's try it anyway. Are, are you ready for the lightning round? Are you ready to give tangible, practical, short-winded advice? Are you ready for that? I'm ready. Okay, all right. Best advice to start a conversation with a neighbor you've never talked to? Ask them how they're doing. Wow, that would be, you need to actually talk to somebody. <laughs> okay, all That's right. It's profound, I know. Best way to reach out to a neighbor you've had conflict with? I would say address it head on. Uh, hey, things are crazy. I know we've had our issues. I just want to see how you're doing. Like it. Best way to support a local business? Uh, eat there, since those are the ones that are open right now. I mean, get takeout, basically. Takeout, that's right. Take takeout there. Uh, how can I help the single mom across the street? Ask her what she needs. I mean, that's, and I know that's going to be the same answer for like 20 of your lightning round questions, but we have to start by actually understanding what's going on in people's lives. If we think we know the answer to what's wrong with them, then, you know, that's just, that's, that's arrogant. Ask her what she needs and then help make it happen. Teachers, how can we, how can we help teachers? Uh, we could raise their salaries, but otherwise, um, that might be a different topic. I think they need a lot of love. A lot of them are, are parents too. And they're, they're trying to somehow teach our kids virtually while also watching their own kids while also dealing with everything else that everyone else is dealing with. Um, we need to send them love, send them some gift cards, um, uh, you know, send them some, some notes of appreciation. Just they're human beings, just help support their, their, their emotional and mental health and their financial health. How much healing can actually take place in our country while we're social distancing? Do you think there's, there's upsides of the digital interactions we're having right now or can be? What do you think? So uh, there are things we can't do online. We just can't do them. Um, you can't hug someone. But I think we are being forced to ask ourselves, am I calling my lonely friend? Am I calling my elderly parents? Am I checking in on how they're doing? Am I asking them how they're doing? Am I sending a funny video to someone just to make their day a little better? Uh, or am I just thinking about myself? And so I think to that extent, yeah, we're, we got a lot of healing to do, and we can we can use this opportunity to actually really reckon with the the amount of uh, selflessness that we should be committing ourselves to. So, are there any other ways we we can be capitalizing on this moment in history to bring our nation together? For those of us who want to be peacemakers, for those of us who want to be uniters, for those of us who want to see our our country actually get stronger. What can the average person do today? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I love that question because I think after this thing is over, we are going to have a moment of rebuilding in this country that's going to be profoundly important, whether we do it together or whether we just use this as another thing that we can tear ourselves apart over. So if I'm a person right now and I'm concerned about the country and the divisions and the coronavirus, the number one thing you can do is go reach out to someone who you would have viewed as your opponent. 14 days ago or whatever, and ask them if you can support them. So, you know, imagine if these these local groups that work on gun control and these local chapters of the NRA, imagine if, if the heads of those chapters reached out to each other and said, forget guns for a second. Do you guys need anything? Like, does anyone in your community need someone to go shopping for them? Like, can we do that for each other? 
And what would that then make that relationship look like yeah. after this is over? Um, this is the moment to do that. It comes down to the basics, doesn't it? It's it's about human interaction. Yeah. It's about respecting people. It's it's about just looking people in the eye instead of looking at our devices. I'm hoping that we're going to come out of this better because at minimum, when we're in a group of 10 people, I think we'll be less apt to look down at our device instead of looking in somebody else's face. Yeah. So yeah. I think at minimum, we should be making some resolutions here of how we're going to behave when I can get back to quasi-normal, whatever the new normal is going to be. Amen. Anything else you want to say to our listeners, uh, Andrew? Any, any final thing we, we haven't gotten into you wish we would have gotten into? Yeah, you know, uh, what my organization is doing because, you know, like everyone else, we're, we're stuck inside right now. We can't have events outside that bring people together. But one of the things we're doing is we're just trying to share uh, positive stories on the Internet of people doing great stuff. We've shared some things that Crossroads has been doing, which is great, um, with the hashtag love your neighbor. Just simple. Uh, if you see something cool, just tweet it and put hashtag love your neighbor and we'll, we'll share it. Um, and I know other groups are starting to do the same thing. Let's just at least get those stories out there about Americans who are helping each other and doing great things um, and not just be flooded with all the negativity. So if people want to get connected with you, follow up with you, see what's going on, where, where can they do that? Yeah, so we're at oneamericamovement.org. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Instagram, YouTube, all that. Um, I'm at, at Andrew Hanauer on Twitter. Um, and uh, yeah, all those places. Awesome, Andrew. Thank you so much for being here today on The Aggressive Life. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for listening. For more aggressive living, head over to bryantome.com. Get signed up for the mailing list to get regular shots of positive aggression sent straight to your inbox. And while you're there, you can also find articles, podcasts, and books. I'm also active on Instagram. Search Brian Tome. Special thanks to the band Judges for the music. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.